Welcome, family, to today's podcast. We'll be reading a couple of articles from the magazine Victory, Believer's Voice of Victory, sent out to us monthly by Kennedy and Gloria Copeland. You can actually request for your own copy to be sent to you. I've been getting it for years and years, very many years. KCM.org, sign up for the free magazine. And it's got incredible articles. I'll read one to you. It's This one's by Dennis Burke. B-U-R-K-E. It says, shake it off. We don't have to follow the fear, panic, uncertainty that others are experiencing. It says right here, um, my wife Vicky and I once joined a group of 15 couples for a motorcycle ride on the Blue Ridge Parkway, a stunning, beautiful drive along the Appalachians. At one point, we stopped to take a group picture when you're trying to organize that many people, you might as well order out a, for a pizza. You're going to be there a while. I went up to a pastor in, in the group that I hadn't met before and introduced myself. I'm so glad you're here. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your church. As soon as I posed that question, he unloaded. The floods of gate of information opened. He had faced serious difficulties in his church. And as we stood on the side of the road with people taking pictures all around us, this guy was bleeding. He faced a split in his church. And the people who caused the church split left saying nasty things about the pastor. On the side of the road isn't the best place for that kind of deep dive. But in that moment, God directed me to say, well, you know, God had a split in heaven and it wasn't due to a lack of leadership. God wanted this pastor to get out of his own head and quit listening to combination and discouragement. What did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? Should I have done this or that? Should the pastor have handled should that pastor have handled the situation differently? Perhaps, but at that point it was over. The best he could do was learn from his mistakes and keep moving what he sh- shouldn't have done is let the devil take him out of each and every day since. Later, he told me something had been on me for weeks and boom, when he said that to me, it was gone. As soon as I heard the truth, the combination and discouragement lifted. Right away, he walked over to his wife who was sitting on the mo- their motorcycle and told her what I said. The same anointing hit her. That combination and discouragement left her just like it hit, hit him. Praise God. How did it leave them? He told her, shouldn't the pastor have handled situations different? Yes. The best he could do was leader. The do was learn from his mistakes and keep moving. What he shouldn't have done is let the devil take him out each and every day since. Right away, okay, I share this with you because if any of you, any of us, trash, destructive thoughts, doubts, and combination has been on you, it's time to shake it off. Shake it off. That may sound too simple, too Pollyanna. For some people, but remember, you know a mighty God who raises the dead, and he is enough. There are two times 
when the devil attacks you, when you're doing everything wrong and when you're doing everything right. In other words, he doesn't stop. There's something new about that. A lot of heroes in scripture face the same pressure. For instance, the apostle Paul faced a time like that. Paul, then a prisoner, was getting a free boat ride via the Roman government to preach in Rome. Paul had told the Roman officers over him that they shouldn't leave port because he had a sense that it, was, it wasn't safe. The captain of the ship didn't care what Paul thought. He loaded everyone up and headed for open waters. Paul had left like, felt like trouble was coming, but it didn't matter. He had to endure the same trouble as the rest of the people on the ship. He went through the same storm of hurricane force. After many days of seeing neither the sun nor the stars, and with the violent storm continued to rage against us, all hope of ever getting through it alive was abandoned. Verse 14 and 20. Then he and the others encounter a shipwreck. While the others feared for their lives, Paul had a different frame of mind. He knew they would be safe. That's what should distinguish us from the world, a different frame of mind. God has done something in us that's given us the right to believe differently than most people. That doesn't mean the unexpected won't happen. It will. But like Paul, we don't have to follow the fear, panic, and uncertainty that others experience. After Paul and the other shipwreck on Malta, he was helping build a fire when a viper bit his hand. Paul's reaction, Paul shook the snake off, flung it into the fire, and suffered no harm at all. Think about that. Paul had just helped save 276 souls from being lost at sea. He helped them get to shore safely. And just when they thought the trouble was past and they could enjoy a warm fire, a viper bit Paul. Talk about not having a good day. Sometimes you can be in the middle of doing something good, helping others, sharing the gospel, going all you, doing all you know to do, and the devil bites you. It may not be a poison snake bite, but it can feel like one coming out of nowhere and feeling like it's, it's the end. Here's the important part. Through, though Paul had a different frame of mind, he just shook the viper off. The islanders watching this happened, though it was a criminal that God was trying to kill. The islanders watching this happen, this happened thought, they thought that he was a criminal and God was after him. The ocean hadn't killed him. The hurricane hadn't killed him. So then God must have sent a snake to kill him. They waited for him to pop up and die. Likewise, people may be waiting for the worst to happen to you. They may be saying, oh man, this is it. Oh, he's done. Yeah, he deserves it. Then a few times later, when Paul didn't die, they changed their tune. He must be a god. People can be fickle for you. For you, those onlookers may be well-meaning Christians who go to your church, or they may be people sitting next to you at work, or neighbors you pass every day on your morning walk. They're watching to see how it responds to, to being bit. They're waiting to see if you'll puff up and die, or just shake it off. God raises the dead. Paul was no stranger to pressure. In Second Corinthians, Paul talked about the trouble he faced in western turkey as you read what he wrote here think of this of the time in your life maybe even right now when you face pressures the kind that would make others wonder if you're going to survive 
<clears throat> For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that were, we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sins of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves. <clears throat> what hit? <clears throat> Paul may be similar to what's hitting you and me. Bam. It comes out of nowhere. Your mind starts to play a reel of questions that are full of doubts. What are you going to do of now? How are you going to get past this? Where is this going to end? When your mind starts playing that kind of nonsense, remember where to keep your trust. Like Paul, you may seem to have a sentence of death, but don't trust that. Instead, trust in God who raises the dead. <clears throat> it doesn't matter how hopeless things look. You serve a God who rescues you from hopeless situations. It doesn't matter how deadly the bite intends to be. This is it for you. You're done now. You serve the God who raises the dead. You can be sure that Paul was hit was hit with the same kind of negative thoughts that try to hit every one of us. But when it happened, Paul shook it off. No one may know what Paul was going through on the inside, but he knew he had it had to address it. He didn't dwell on it. He didn't come up with plan C or D or E. He stuck with plan A. He said, God, deliver us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Never quit. Paul gets into more. Paul gets into more detail on how to handle it better later in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. He wrote, now it's because of God's mercy that we have been entrusted with the privilege of this new covenant ministry. We Can we all say the same thing? It's not because we've been so slick that we're walking in the jobs, the churches or the families we have. It's because of God's mercy that we've been entrusted with this new covenant ministry. Then Paul adds this statement, and we will not quit or faint with weariness. Satan may try to silence you, <clears throat> quiet, quiet you down and wear you out, but like Paul said, we will not quit. Paul then reminds us that our thinking must remain steadfast. We are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within. So that's the extraordinary overflow of power we be seen as God's, not ours. Notice Paul said in the phrase, overflow of power. God wants an overflow of power <clears throat> to be seen in our homes, our money, our marriages, our ministry, and our voices. We may be common clay jars, but we have an overflow of power. That power doesn't come because of us. It comes because Jesus has deposited all his resources on the inside of us. In verse 8 and 9, Paul continues, Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. We are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. Can you relate? Paul and his fellow ministers have faced every kind of pressure, but they refuse to be crushed. They refuse to quit. Satan would like to talk to you into quitting the life and calling God has for you. That's his goal. But if you quit, you'll never discover the next step in God's plan. You'll never know what to do. You'll never figure out which direction you should go. I don't know what you're going through, but I know these are the tricks the devil tries to play on every single one of us to get into our heads. We don't have to allow him to have his way. 
We are full of Jesus. We are full of the word and we renew our minds with that word on, on a daily, even hourly basis. Second Corinthians continue. We have the same spirit of faith that is described in the scriptures when it says, first I believed, then I spoke in faith. So no wonder we don't give up. For even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is renewed every single day. Like scuba divers have to equalize the pressure in the head to counter-react the water pressure at different depths, so do we have to increase the word inside us to counter-react the pressure of the enemy on the outside. As we build up the word inside of us, the pressure of the enemy becomes less noticeable. It is in that place that we are able to shake it off. It is in that place that we are able to shake it off. When you get bit, shake it off. Speak the word that you're deposited inside yourself. Stand up on God's promises in the face of things gone wrong. Continue to believe his truth. When the enemy, friends, or popular opinion tells you that your life is over, it's not over. Let the pressure of the word rise inside of you so you can shake it off. Woohoo! Nice story, huh? If you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. As believers, we need to settle the fact in our hearts. Walking in love is not a suggestion the Lord has given us. It's not a nice thing to do or just a good idea. Walking in love is the New Testament commandment. When we walk in obedience to that commandment with a willing heart, we open the door to the blessing of God. We open the door to supernatural prosperity. We open the door to health and healing. We open the door to peace and well-being in every area of our lives. The reverse is also true. When we disobey the command of love and yield to things like bitterness, irritation, unforgiveness, and selfishness, we throw open the door to the devil. We give him an open invitation to come in with his sword and destruction and cut up our lives. That's why the devil fights us so hard over the issues of love. That's why the moment we begin to study about love and commit ourselves to walk in, in it, the devil tr will try to see to it that someone challenges you. He'll try to make sure that someone does something so thoroughly offended us. He knows that if we truly begin to live our lives according to love, will get out of his reach. So he tries to pull us back into a life of strife. Once when I was preaching a series of meetings about the love of God, Kenny Copeland says, in a church in Texas, the devil pulled the kind of stunt on me, got the song director on a fuss with someone in the church right in the middle of the meeting. Believe it or not, the guy got so mad, he threw a songbook while I was preaching about love. <laughs> Lord, I said, what is going on? The Lord said, love is so powerful, it casts the devil and all his works right out of the people's lives. So he's doing his best to throw a fit on his way up, hoping you'll be back up, hoping you'll back off a little and let him back in. When the devil does that to you, don't fall for it. Don't back off your love walk one bit. Just keep on being willing and obedient. <clears throat> Instead of getting mad at the person who offended you, get mad at the devil and rebel against him. Determine I'm going to be more loving still. I'll be kinder than I've ever been to that person. I'm not only forgiving them, I'll give them a hug. I'll send them a card. I'll buy them a gift. 
Keep right on obeying the command of love and demolish the plan of Satan. Make him sit and watch while you enjoy the good of the land. Amen. Good article. The first article was about <clears throat> Dennis Berkey, and the next one was Kenny Copeland. Very good. Our third article here is uh, Gloria Copeland, and hers is Seek and You Will Find. All righty. Over the years, thousands of people have written Ken and me to share their testimonies and tell us how God delivered them from sickness, trouble, poverty, and distress and filled their lives with his goodness. I've read many of their letters, and I can tell you they are happy people. They discover the same thing I have, that when you do what God calls you to do and connect with his master plan, you're satisfied. The plan of God is where true peace is, his plan is where true joy is. God's shining path is the place of freedom. I don't know where you are on God's shining path today. You may be taking your first few steps. You may have strayed away from that path and want to return. You may have walked that shining path for years. Wherever you are, I can assure you it will take courage to keep going because along God's path, there are surprises. There are twists and turns, mountains and valleys that will challenge your faith. <clears throat> to meet those challenges, you must dare to believe God truly is a good, as the Bible says, He is. You must understand that you can trust Him absolutely and that everything He tells you to do is for your good. You have to trust God and what He says to you in His written word and in your heart. You must turn your back on the lies of the devil and believe what Psalms 145.89 says about him. That he is gracious. He is disposed to show favors and likes to do good things for you. That he is full of compassion. He is absolutely overflowing with love for you. He cares deeply about everything that concerns you and has promised never to leave nor forsake you because he loves you as a father. He wants you to succeed and be blessed even more than you do. Excuse me, that he is slow to anger and great in mercy. Excuse me. When you disobey him or make a mistake, he's not quick to punish you or make you pay. He just asks you to repent and confess your sins so that he can forgive and help you get back inside his circle of blessing. Even if you've been a repeat offender and you're afraid you worn out God's patience, he'll still receive you with open arms when you turn to him. As Lamentations 3 25 says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. That the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are all over his works. He doesn't have a great plan for one person and a lousy plan for another. He doesn't love one of his children more than another. He has a glorious plan for every one of us because he loves us equally and he is good to all. His plans for each person will be different because we are all unique. But you can be sure his plans for you will be just as good for you as mine is for me. How could his plan for you be anything lesser? It's been perfectly designed by the master. 
Once you begin to grasp how amazingly God's shining path actually is, you'll have one burning question. How do I follow that path? How do I find that path? You won't be content to wander here and there where circumstances might lead. You'll be satisfied getting up in the morning, going to work, coming home, <clears throat> watching telephone, and going to bed. You'll want to take definite steps towards your destiny. You'll want to be sure you're living according to God's master plan. If you're anything like I was when I began my relationship with God, at first you may feel overwhelmed by the challenge. You may look back at the mistakes you made and the wrong turns you've taken and wonder how you ever figure out exactly what God wants you to do. If that's what you're thinking, I have good news for you. You don't have to be a spiritual genius to find God's shining path. You don't have to be an expert theologian or even a special experienced Christian. I can assure you of that, not only because the Bible says so, but also because I've proven it myself. I was totally clueless when I first gave my life to the Lord. I had no idea what God thought about things. I never learned much about the Bible. No one had ever taught me the powerful truths of the word. I knew nothing about spiritual things. But God was able to help me anyway because he has made provisions for people in that condition. His wisdom actually calls out to them. The Bible says, Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stands on the top of the high hills beside the way where the path meets. She cries out by the gates of the entry of the city at the entrance of the doors. To you, O man, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Proverbs 8, 1 through six seventeen. According to that passage, no matter who we are or where we might be in life, God is speaking his wisdom to us. He's making it available to everyone. If we want that wisdom, however, we can just wait for it to find it. We can't. We can't just sit around expecting God to look us up. He will do some maneuvering for us. He will help us. But ultimately, if we want to get the wisdom we need to find God's shining path for our lives, we have to do what this passage says. We have to seek God's wisdom diligently to connect fully with God's plan. We have to go after him with our whole heart. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. It tells us again and again that the blessings of wisdom of God are reserved for people who avidly seek him. It says, blessed are those who keep his commandments, who seek him with the whole heart. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. He who earnestly seeks after and craves righteousness, mercy, and loving kindness will find life in addition to righteousness, upright, and right standing with God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his hand and while he is near. Isaiah 55. When you pray, I will listen. If you look for me in earnest, you will find me when you seek me. I will be found of you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent 
you and bring you home again to your new land. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 14, the New Living Translation. Seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You can't live without it. According to the Amplified Bible, Classic Edition, when God says, seek my face, he means inquire for and require my presence as your vital need. A vital need is something we can't live without. People who think they can live without seeking God are greatly mistaken. Without God, they're just existing. They're totally missing out on real abundant life. Once we as believers fully understand this, we get serious about seeking God. Once we realize it takes the wisdom and knowledge of God for us to live a truly blessed life, we'll find time to search out the wisdom no matter how busy we are. We'll get up early in the morning and spend time with the Lord or we'll go to bed a little later and seek Him at night. We'll even turn off television. Think of that. We'll do whatever we have to do. Obviously, it is going to take some effort. We can't just be the casual Christians to find the fullness of God's wisdom and plan for our lives. We can't just show up at a church once in a week, sing some songs, and listen to a sermon. Going to church is good, and any measure of seeking God's will brings us a certain amount of blessing. But if we want to live in power and victory, if we want to cooperate in the gifts of the Spirit and see the miracles in our lives, seeking God must be our number one priority. That's true whether the President of the United States waiting tables, or scrubbing floors. To be a success, you must make a lifestyle going after God for yourself. You must be determined to get to know Him personally and find out what He says, what He has to say. Be willing to seek, seek, and seek. Exactly what does it mean to seek something? According to the dictionary, it means to try to find, to search for, to look for, to explore, to ask, inquire for, and learn, discern, try to acquire, aim, and pursue. That definition of it by itself gives us a lot to think about, but the Hebrew definition for the word seeks adds another dimension. I discovered the definition when I was reading a book by a Jewish rabbi who became interested in what the Old Testament said about the Messiah. He went to various Jewish scholars and teachers and asked them about the subject, but they wouldn't talk to him about it. Finally, after he had became a rabbi himself, he decided he would do his own scriptural study on the Messiah. He discovered many scriptures that instructed God's people to seek or search for him. I learned from the rabbi that in Hebrew, the word seek actually means to search. So that rabbi decided to do exactly that. He studied the Bible and searched every Old Testament scripture he could find about the Messiah. Do you know what happened? That rabbi researched the Messiah and found him. He ended up receiving Jesus as the Messiah and was born again. Even though you and I are already believers, what can we can do the same thing the, the rabbi did. We can search God and get to know him more and more and know him better. The more of him we seek, the more of him we'll find.
Where to go? Do you know what happened? The rabbi researched the Messiah. He got the research. Okay, where do we do our research? First and foremost, we go to the Bible. When you see the words seek, then research. Think research when you see seek. I think the word research best describes what it takes to walk with God. It helps you to get a hold of what seek really means. It is the best word for what it takes to live victoriously in the earth. This is the, what Ken and I have now known for more than 40 years. We search God. The more we search, the more victory we find. There's nothing in your life more essential than knowing what the Bible says about because it's the revelation of God to you. God speaks and shows himself to you primarily through his written word. It's the key to connecting with God's will for your life. It's the place you'll find your master plan. The Bible doesn't have your name specifically written in it. It doesn't spell out what vocation you should choose. It doesn't tell you whom you should marry and how many children you should have. But even so, if you do what it says, step by step, the plan God has for your life will begin to unfold in your heart and before your eyes. Amen and amen. A couple articles from Kenneth Copeland Magazine for 2023, January. Just got the, just got it. Actually, February. This is February 2023. All right. Thank you very much for listening in. A whole half hour. God bless you. We did it, folks.